Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show most definitely is all about the heart. Before we bring on today's guest, I want to let you know that if you hear something that you're interested in talking with us about, we want to hear from you. Tweet at me, at Lisa Kamen, or HH Talk Radio, or with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. All right, we are talking about something very, very near and dear to me personally, and that is the relationship of love and medicine, or love and its ability and our ability to heal ourselves with it from many different things that might ail us. And in the studio today is somebody who has been with us before whom I personally revere and adore because I have followed his work for decades, and that is Dr. Bernie Siegel, whose first multi-million best-selling book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, was published in 1986, which is when I first became familiar with him and his work. He is the author of multiple other books, including A Book of Miracles, which is now available in paperback, 101 Exercises for the Soul, and 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. Dr. Siegel lives with his wife in Connecticut. They have five grown children and several grandchildren. And I just want to give the plug that I urge everybody to visit his website because there's incredible information there. And that is BernieSiegelMD.com. Welcome back, Bernie. Thanks for being with us again. Oh, thank you. Let me spell Siegel for people too. S-I-E-G-E-L. So they get to the website without a problem. 
And we want to direct them to the right place. That's for sure. Let's talk about love as the Mm. ultimate power drug, or I call it power tool. I've written about love as a power tool, and I really believe in this. Yes. I mean, it. I don't know if you have that Emmett Fox quote, but I have it in front of me almost all the time when I go out. And it it ends with, if only you could love enough, you'd be the most powerful being on the planet. Um, you know, because he goes on to say... Um, that enough love can conquer basically everything in your problem, you know, any problem in your life. Um, So the key, however, is, and this I had to discover, because I'm from a minority group. My parents loved me. And I never (laughs) considered suicide. Um, it, It, you know, life had its troubles, but I knew I was loved. And uh, there's a poem, uh, a Robert Frost, home is a place that when you go there, they have to take you in. So, you know, I felt safe. It didn't matter what I behaved like, what I did. Uh, they didn't have to like it, but I could continue to be loved and coached by my parents. And I had to learn as a physician, uh, well, again, I, th- I keep thinking of all these people in my mind These are quotes. My mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. I said to another woman, do you have a picture of yourself as a baby so I can show you that you're worth loving? No, my parents are real estate agents. You want to see the house? Um, (laughs) You know, and other parents who said, we want you to commit suicide. And we're going to. So I've met people who say, I must have been a failure as a child. My parents committed suicide. And what I've learned is, and studies show it, that if you grow up without that love, you become self-destructive. You know, whether it's going into addictions to reward yourself or give you feelings or numb you, um, you just don't care about yourself. And I always say it isn't about information. You know, we can put up signs that say cigarettes are no good for you, sugar is no good for you. Uh, exercise is good for you, that doesn't get people to stop the destructive behavior and do what's good for them. Somebody has to come along and say, I love you. Not I like you, you know, what you're doing, but I love you. And what I found was as a doctor, I call it reparenting, that if, see, the opposite of love is indifference. What's worse, rejection and abuse. But I... I learned that if I didn't act indifferently and didn't reject them, no matter how they behaved, I mean, I'm a doctor telling them how to take care of themselves. They don't do a damn thing, I suggest. What are they used to? Don't bother to come back. We're not giving you a return appointment. See, here are my parents again, throwing me out. I would always say, I'll see you next week. I'll see you in two weeks. Um... And if they would smoke in the waiting room under a no smoking sign, I'd say, hey, you're looking for attention. Come on in. Let me talk. You know, let me help you. Then they their eyes would light up. It's like, "Uh oh, he knows me. He knows what I'm doing. Um, But I found that as the months went by, they began to realize somebody cared. I must be worth something. And they'd start to take care of themselves. 
And one day I got a label that I would share with everyone because we all have that potential. You're my CD. Now, this was a suicidal teenager I was trying to help. You're my CD. I said, what are you talking about? I'm a CD. You're my chosen dad. Boom. Boom. From that day on, I offer that to people. And it's made a difference in a lot of lives. Because I, I said, you need a father, I'll be your father. You know, and uh, the courage, and this I learned from reading as well as meeting the self-help gurus. We were at a weekend retreat, you know, where people came and each one of us had a turn speaking. And one day we were having lunch and I listened to their tragic stories and when they were suicidal. And I couldn't believe that they were getting on the stage and giving, you know, a passionate sermon to people. Um, and they'd been suicidal. It was like, hey, you're deceiving everybody. When it came my turn, I said, I've never been suicidal. And I love their answer. Yeah, we know you're not normal. (laughs) I learned what they were saying later on from my own reading. Because I really couldn't think of how do you get on a stage and tell people, you know, to choose life when you were thinking of choosing death. But the key was that they came to the point where death was an option. But they turned from that choice and chose life. And then I realized what they were teaching people was how to turn and have that courage and choose to live. You know, the way I put it now is eliminate what's killing you. Don't kill yourself. And uh, that's hard for a lot of kids because they don't feel they have any power when their parents are abusing them and, and doing things. But choosing love. You know, I never stop talking because one person after another comes after another comes into my mind. A young man years ago um, with AIDS, and he got in touch with me to help him survive. And I was working with him. And where did he get the disease? He was sexually abused by his parents and their friends. They would use him, and he slept in a bare room. Uh, you know, if he wanted a radio or television, he had to do a favor. Then he would get it for the evening. Um, and one day he called me and said, Dr. Siegel, what is it, Tony? I'm going to commit suicide. I said, Tony, wait a minute. I got mafia friends in New York. I can get a gun and we'll kill your parents. Why should you kill yourself? <laughs> and I never forget his answer. We talk about love. He said, no, I never want to be like them. He didn't want to hurt anybody. And he said, I'm going down to the subway to jump in front of the A train and end my life. I got a call a few hours later. Dr. Siegel, Tony, what is it? I went down the subway. The train was late. Something happened. And I'm standing there. And I can't do anything. There's no train. He said, I saw on the wall the hotline for suicide prevention. So I called them and they came and rescued me and told me that love was what was important in life. And, you know, I don't think that's an accident either. Uh, You know, I often talk about angels, but who 
delayed the train, so Tony ended up having his life saved. But again, it's, I mean, to me, that's the power of love, to be able to say, I never want to be like them. So my term now is for people to be a love warrior, because I was reading an article where somebody separated the two things. You can be a warrior, you can be a lover. And I thought, no, you put them together. You become a love warrior. Love is your weapon. Drives people crazy when you say to them, I love you. When they're screaming at you, cursing, uh, whatever it's for, angry, whatever you've done they don't like. And I love to say, I love you. And then they all stop and leave because they don't know what to do with me. <laughs> you know, and the people, uh, yeah, I'm laughing, but because I, someday you pull into a parking spot at the shopping center and somebody starts screaming at you, that's my spot, I was waiting to take that spot. Lower your window and say, I love you, and watch what they do. <laughs> oh, it's a game changer. And it makes me think of a girlfriend of mine who is in New York. She has a company, and this woman, she says, I love you to everybody. This is how she starts her conversation and ends her conversation with everyone that she comes in contact with. It's really quite spectacular to watch her in action and be in her presence and listen to her. And she had some employees that sued her for other grievances, and it made all of the papers across the country that mm. this woman was running a love cult because she oh, <laughs> would say, yeah. I love you, to her employees and had candles burning and soft music in the offices. And she called me and she goes, can you believe that? She goes, I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it's certainly given us a lot of free publicity. But she said, I'm scratching my head how I love you could cause such a problem. Yeah, well, for a lot of people... They don't know what to do with it. They've never experienced it. See, love is meant to benefit the giver and the receiver. But if they've never had love, they don't know how to handle it. I mean it, literally. That's why they leave and don't bother you. But they start thinking about it. I said, I love you. I have to tell you the setting. Um, I was in... Summertime, up in Cape Cod, very busy, tra you know, traffic was horrendous. The teenager driving the car behind me was screaming obscenities at me as if it was my fault when there's 30 cars lined up. And he just kept <laughs> screaming and cursing and yelling. And we came to a corner where there was a, a cop. So I said to the cop, can you tell him to be quiet? And the cop said, it's not my job. You know, he's directing traffic. So I got out of the car with our kids yelling, Dad, he could have a gun, Dad, Dad. And I went over to him and I said, I want you to know something. I love you. I'm sorry that your parents don't. And he made a U-turn and drove away. Now, sometimes wow. people hear that and say, gee, you're cruel to him. I think that was the best thing that could have happened because my hope is he would now stop and think about why he was acting the way he was. That it isn't him, it's how he's been treated, you know, that created him. See, I mean, we are going to need to go to a break, you, Bernie. And when we come okay. back, I, I want to carry on this very right. loving, beautiful conversation about love, medicine, and miracles that right. you have so much to share. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. To learn more, visit BernieSiegelMD.com. 
Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. Love is in the air, in the thunder of the sea. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Today we are talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel, the multi-million best-selling author of Love, Medicine, and Miracles, as well as others including A Book of Miracles, 101 Exercises for the Soul, and 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. So Bernie, we were talking about the power of love to diffuse or de-escalate others who may be in a state of agitation. And this is this is a really really important and very very simple intervention that any of us can use any of us can yes. do this yeah you have to love yourself first but then you can dispense it and uh, feel free to work with it and as i say i think it's the greatest force on the planet uh, what i tell people now is if you don't have time to listen to me or to read what i've written here, I'll summarize it for you. Love your life and love your body. See, now when you do those two things, the messages, the internal chemistry becomes healing. And I mean that literally. See, Solzhenitsyn in his book Cancer Ward talks about self-induced healing. See, not a miracle or a spontaneous remission. In other words, something that you might say, oh, that person's lucky. That's a miracle, it's spontaneous. No, it isn't. We'll get into that. But if you think of it as self-induced, then you say, hey, can I learn from you? How do I do that? And the sad part is doctors don't ask patients who have done incredibly well, gotten well when they were expected to die, and they don't say to the patient, hey, how come you didn't die? I used to do that. <laughs> it may sound crazy, <laughs> but as I began to go out and lecture, I saw people in the audience I thought were dead. You know, they didn't return for visits. So I started getting down off the podium and saying, hey, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? And they always had a story. And what it's about is a rebirthing, a transformation. The symbol Solzhenitsyn uses is a rainbow-colored butterfly. 
The butterfly is transformation. The rainbow is your life in order and harmony. So you learn you have a life-threatening illness, and you stop and say, hey, I'm going to quit all these things. I'm going to take a new job. I'm going to start doing what I love. Um, I'm moving. I'm, you know, I mean, the stories could go on forever that I I know. And um, then you find out, you see, three months later, three years later, hey, I'm not dead and I'm having a wonderful time. I mean, even going somewhere, it's hard, as I say, for me not to keep sharing stories because a fellow who expected to die and accepted it, you know, he wasn't angry, he wasn't going to fight. He went to Colorado to die in the mountains. I said to the family, give me a call when he dies, I'll come to the funeral. A year later, nobody has called me, so I'm really annoyed. And I call up. And he answered the phone. <laughs> and I told him why I was calling. And he said, yeah, it's so beautiful here, I forgot to die. You know? And, and, you know, we both could laugh. And I know another fellow who moved, got bought a house on the seashore in Florida to meditate and just watch, look at the ocean. And instead of dying in two months, he lived over five years. And the hospital, in his case, the hospital and the doctors realized he's done something. So he became very special and became a teacher for others. There was a guy I once knew uh, in Boston. He was being treated for cancer, and he was really run, running running life uh, at a, a pace that was faster than the speed of light. He, I think, he had brain cancer, and he had multiple surgeries. Um, and he was told there was really nothing that could be done mm-hmm. for this guy, and uh, he decided that. While he was clean, he was in remission, he was going to go out and start bike riding. So the guy kind of became addicted to long-distance bike riding. Lo and behold, several months later, no cancer, no nothing. And he says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride in some big race. Lo and behold, he rides in the race. He's fine. And he realizes that this is his new state of being. He's no longer right. has cancer. He's a guy that at one time had cancer and he's going on with his life. So then he turned into probably one of the largest um, fundraisers for the hospital where he was treated. And he realized that because he had reassigned his purpose in life, that's what gave him his life back. Yeah. And in, in, you mentioned we have a book out called The Book of Miracles. And then it's, it's about all kinds of things that happen in people's lives. You could say, wow, what a coincidence. There are no coincidences. Um, And just so people understand, it's not just about incurable diseases. It's about amazing events that happen in people's lives. But as I was reading all the stories that were being sent in for me to comment on, I realized the common thread, at least I felt, was I place before you life and death, good and evil. Choose life. And for me, that definition is what is life enhancing for not just you, but all of creation, all living things. See, it's not, okay, what's good for me? And so, again, when people chose life, these amazing things happened, just like you're saying about this fellow. See, he chose to live. He chose to do what made him happy. And we have to keep reminding people, this is about your internal chemistry. 
when you take a actress and an actor and give them a script and it's a tragedy he has murdered her husband they meet each other you draw their blood while they're acting immune function goes down stress hormone levels go up then you give them a comedy to perform and their immune function goes up and the stress hormone levels go down so people have to realize your feelings become your internal chemistry you know, thoughts, feelings, emotions are all physical, too, just as happiness is. I mean, you feel good when you laugh and you're happy, and you feel bad when you're depressed and unhappy. Yes, because your chemistry is different, and your genes are getting a message. Monday morning, more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. It ain't Monday. <laughs> it's about right. people, you know, and how they feel on Monday. And so that's what people have to understand, your thoughts, your feelings. And I always say the only thing you're in control of is what goes on in your head. And if you let others take, take the power away from you, uh, then you're in big trouble. But when you can, you know, be the lover, uh, remain happy. Uh, and, and, yeah, it takes work. I work at it every day, you know, with mantras, with attitude, with everything um, I struggle every day. I always say, I'm the, I don't know if I've ever been the person I would like to be for 24 hours in a row. But, but I, I don't mean that in a negative, you know, hypercritical sense. See, I mean it in a coaching sense that it's not coming up to you as some parents say, you're a failure, you embarrass us, you know, stay in the house, we don't want people to see you. Um, it's like a coach coming up to you and saying, there's a better way of doing that. Yeah, at the hospital, just so people have an example, patients, nurses, and my family used to tell me how to be a better doctor. Now, I thought it was because I was not a good doctor until I said to one of the nurses, what am I, the worst doctor in the hospital? Everybody's telling me, you know, how to do it better. And She said, no, you're one of the best doctors. We know you care, so we tell you when we think there's a better way for you to do something. You don't make excuses and blame everybody else. So we talk to you. We don't talk to the people who make excuses and blame us. It's pointless. And, and that taught me a lot. So I often say to people, you want to find a good doctor or plumber? Say, are you criticized by the people you work with, the people you work for, and your family? For doctors, it would be patients, nurses, and family. And if the answer is yes, then that's a good person. Because they learn and they listen. I have a question. It's a question kind of with, with an answer implied to it. What are some ways that we can become a better lover? And by that question, I'm not talking about in the romantic or sexual sense. I'm talking about a better lover to, to humanity. You rehearse and practice. Remember I talked about actors. So... What you do is wake up in the morning and say, if I were a more loving human being, how would I behave today? And you keep doing it. And you seek out coaches. That's why I said about family, patients, nurses. My family, had, had the kids had a wonderful saying, Dad, you're not in the operating room now. They, when they didn't particularly like my behavior, you know, becoming the boss in charge, telling everybody what to do, 
their response was, Dad, you're not in the operating room now. Or my wife has a couple of wonderful ones. Honey, you're so handsome when you're angry. <laughs> so if I get upset and I'm bellowing, honey, you're so handsome when you're angry. <laughs> and and yeah, I'm laughing now because she does. It just melts it away, you know. Um, and so again, come up with those little sayings and expressions within the family or the people you work with. And and when somebody is deviating from the course they would like to take. Give them that little nudge and remind them and get them back on their path. One of the things I often say to people also is, and I mean it literally, but with humor, is to get a role model. You know, if there was somebody you admired, say, okay, let me act like, you know, that person today. You know, it's like Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa. I mean, I got a whole list of people who are my teachers. I'm reading what they write. I'm trying to learn from them. Um... Uh, it's hard for me to hold back from saying more names, but, you know, they're there. But I always say to people, if you don't have anybody like that, then remember WWLD whenever you're in doubt. They look at me like, huh? I say, just huh? ask yourself, what would Lassie do? And then go do it, you know? And, and it's <laughs> Because the animals are complete and we're not, you know, but it makes, see, that's why it makes our love meaningful. If you come home, and your dog jumps on you and licks you and your cat purrs. Yeah, what do you expect? But if your family comes over and says, hey, good to see you home. We love you. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're making a choice. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest gifts. Oh, it was so nice. from One of our kids. I mean, they're all grown adults now. But he sent an email telling my wife and I that he loves us and thanking us for the love we gave him as he grew up. And he said, I'm writing this because if something happened to me, you know, like if I were in an accident and died tonight um, and hadn't told you this, I'd feel terrible. So I want to send this letter to you and let you know. And I always say that to me, I call it winning the lottery of life. That when somebody can say thank you for your love and I love you, mm, what a difference yes. it makes. And that they're comfortable and, with love. Because and our with kids, that, I have a quote here from Mahatma Gandhi that I would love to close out and go to break with that states this, Bernie. It's about boundless love. True love is boundless like the ocean and rising and swelling within one spreads itself out crossing all boundaries and frontiers, envelops the world. And with that, here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com.
Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel about love and medicine and love as really the ultimate power tool or powerful drug that can create miracles, affect change, and really change our lives. Bernie, prior to the break, we were talking about how to be a better lover in the holistic sense. I want to move for a moment to the flip side of the action um, instead of in the doing to love or to express love in the showing how we express love and by that I mean that how listening is an act of love yeah do you want me to share you what I've learned about listening I do and I'm going to listen because it's interesting that you were giving a quote so I had to pull one up by Mother Teresa, um, <laughs> that caring is love in action, see? And we are not called upon to do great deeds, but to put as much love as we can into every single thing that we do. And now, Helen Keller is somebody who's also been one of my teachers. You live a life blind and deaf from the age of four, graduate with honors from college, write several books, I mean, oh, God, she's so full of wisdom. But again, coming from her troubles, you know, that God didn't punish her. God was her educator through these various problems. But this struck me one day very significantly. I got a test question for you. You will have to be blind or deaf tomorrow morning. Which one would you choose to be? Blind or deaf tomorrow morning? Mm. Let's see, which would I go with? God, you're really making me think here. I yeah. think I would go with blind. And I, I don't know feeling, why. I had a feeling you were that kind of person, yeah. The only majority group who will pick that, of course, are musicians, you see. Otherwise, 90% of people say, Deaf, deaf, I want to be deaf. But listen to Helen Keller. I've heard of the stars, of the rainbows, of the play of light on the waves. These I would like to see. But far more than sight, I wish for my ears to be opened. The voice of a friend, the imaginations of Mozart. Deafness is darker by far than blindness. Yeah. And see, that's why when Mother Teresa talks about caring, how do you care for somebody? They come up to you and say, I got a problem. Oh, go read Bernie's book. That's not an answer. You know, stop. Say, what is it? What's going on? What's your problem? And listen. And I mean that literally. Don't tell them what to do. Just go, "Mm mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my. And after a couple of hours of their talking, they will thank you 
for your help. And what have you done? You said, mm-hmm, mm, oh my. See? But what they heard is themselves, and then they know what they need to do. And you get credit for being a wonderful therapist. And I've tested this. I know it, it, it is that way with patients and my family. Dad, I got a problem. Okay, this is what you need to do. You're no help. Dad, I got a problem. Really, what is it? Half an hour later, I haven't said anything, and they say, thank you, you've been a big help, Dad. One woman talked to me for an hour and a half, and I said nothing, except mm, mm-hmm. At the end, she said, that's the greatest conversation I've ever had with anyone. See? And <laughs> I laughed, but I knew she was talking to herself. And she finally discovered who she is and what she needs to do. So, again, you want to be a lover, you want to be a caregiver, listen, listen, listen. And, and now, let me say this, though, <clears throat> because what I've learned is I often, you know, people call me and say, oh, my friend has cancer, you know, what's happening in this family? I say, look, it's okay to get some of my books or somebody else's and give it to them. Bring it in and put it down. But you don't say you have to read this. You know, every time they have a complaint, um, just put it down. If they pick it up and read it and thank you for it, then you know that the resources are within them. You know, it's like when people meet me and say, oh, you're so inspiring. You're such a help. I say, no, I'm your coach. They, you have the talent. It's in you. I didn't put it in there because there are other people who can listen to me or read a book and say, ah, everybody says that. Yeah, just same problem, just boring stuff. Yeah, they don't have the talent. They're not going to show up for practice. So we have to remember, I can be a life coach, but the person has to be willing to show up and put in the effort. And again, it's rehearse and practice. And as some kid said in a veterinarian's office, I'm sure many people have read this little story where, you know, they're going to euthanize the little boy's dog because he's quite sick. And... um the vet says, do you know why animals have a shorter life than people? And this little kid says, yeah. And everybody in the room is shocked that he would say, yeah. <laughs> and he says, they know all about love and kindness, and it takes us a long time to learn, so we have to live a longer time. Yeah. And um, animals are complete. Man is not. But at the same time, as I said before, it makes our actions very meaningful. And the listening is something that any of us can develop a capacity to give. Yeah. The, the, I have this sentence in front of me that I liked. I don't know where it came from. The best sermons are lived, not preached. And that, that I learned when I began to go out, you know, preaching and speaking. And people came up to me and said, we know we can trust you and what you say. I said, what are you talking about? How do you know your wife and children are sitting in the audience in front of you? If you were not telling the truth, they wouldn't be sitting there. And I, that impressed me because to me it was a normal thing. You bring your wife and family. You're trying to live the sermon. They know it. They forgive you when you, you know, don't live up to what you want, but we keep working at it. And um, that's the part. I'd say 
live the sermon, and then everybody around you appreciates the effort you're making and uh, can forgive you, too, when you're not the most loving person in the world. You know, I get tired. It makes it hard to keep loving. And, uh, you know, I need to remember to love myself, too. And a part of that is saying no. That's something very important for people, a lesson. You're asked, see, if Mother Teresa were asked to do something she didn't want to do, what should she say? She should say no no and take care of herself, yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people feel guilty if their family asks for a favor or, you know, somebody else, especially nurses, are always trying to save everybody. But you're saying no to yourself if you keep saying yes to all the things that you don't want to do. So be honest, pay attention, and I love the statement, let your heart make up your mind. Okay. So if it doesn't <laughs> feel right, then just say no. And talk about uh, the heart and feeding that hungry heart that so many of us have when we are, uh, when we're ill, when we're suffering. You know, well, love is it, one of the ways to feed it. Yeah. A big part of it is um, about relationships. See, women live longer than men with the same diseases. Married men longer than single men. After a heart attack, there was a 4% or 5% mortality rate after 12 months if there was a dog in the house and a 26% mortality rate if there was no dog in the house. And that's 12 months after these people had their heart attack. So it, it's not just people, okay, but it's relationships to other living things. Even plants in a nursing home, they did a study. And people who were told they have to take care of the plant that was put in their room live longer than people across the hall who were told we're decorating your room with a plant. So when you have responsibility for other living things, you keep going. I mean, I used to use that with a lot of cancer patients, you know, when they'd have pets and they'd get sick in the family. Oh, we got to get the pets out of the house. And No. <laughs> One woman had 12 cats. And the the family didn't even want to visit because of the smell there. I said, you go in and clean up her house, but you leave the cats. As a matter of fact, you tell her, we can't find anybody to take these cats. We don't know what to do. And then she (laughs) can't die. You know, I mean it. How can you die? You love your cats. You can't die. And and, and believe me, it worked. That... um, so, again, I'd say find relationships, ways of contributing love, but not ways that are imposed on you. Because there's a line, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. See? You start doing what others impose on you, you lose your life. He, he who is willing to lose his life will save it. But you lose the untrue self. As I said, you eliminate what's killing you. You start living your true life. And one uh, little thing I love. I don't know where it came from, but it was be what you is and not what you ain't. Because if you is what you ain't, you ain't what you is. So remember that. <laughs> that's, very, that's very, very cute. Um, we are going to go to a break in about a minute. But before we do, I want to um, just go back to something that you said that I thought was terrific and then and then and then we'll head off to the break together and that is the necessity to show up for practice 
You、mm. want to be better at life. You want to be better at love. You want to have better health. Then you show up for practice. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, I mean any athlete knows that. The coach doesn't make you a star. That's why when people say to me, "You saved my life," I say, "No, I didn't save your life."、Um, I said, "You saved it." I could direct you, teach you, coach you, but you had to show up. So whenever people give me credit for saving their life, I always say, "No, you did it." And、uh, they have to understand that they had to make an effort.、Um, yeah, I could have changed their attitude, their beliefs,、uh, what I call their、uh, potential, you know, to bring that out for them.、Um, but they had to be there to do it. We're going to take a pause, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Bernie Siegel. To learn more, please visit BernieSiegelMD.com. On Facebook, he is at Bernie.Siegel.75. On Twitter, with the handle BernieSiegelMD. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming, where Lisa Cypress Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit harvestinghappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events, and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it because a sharing is caring. But more importantly, these podcasts are free. They're kind. They're legal. They're available 24/7. And we are talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel. Author of Love Medicine and Miracle, as as well as several other books, we're talking about the power of love as medicine and healing. Bernie, let's talk for a moment about the importance of unconditional joy that is irrelevant to external circumstance, and what it teaches us, and how it prepares us for conscious dying. Well, yeah, I I like to.、Um... 
what shall I say? I like to see life as a school. And if people see it as that, then it, it, it's an education, if you know what I mean. You're here to learn. And if you're here to learn, then it also changes your life experience. I, I remember Joseph Campbell writing um, these words, basically. He said, if you're going through hell, stop and say to yourself, what am I to learn from this experience? And that's something I've learned to do from him, you know, from those words. Um, because if you're in the middle of something, again, you don't like how you behaved, you don't like what happened to you, whatever it is. If you stop and say to yourself, what am I to learn from this experience? It changes it. And, and the way I like to compare it is, because a friend of mine said to me one day, Bernie, do you get upset when you're hungry? I said, no. Why? Because I was having a day, she could tell. I wasn't too happy, you know, and things were happening and going on. Um, and I said, oh, if I'm hungry, I get something to eat. She said, okay. Then ask yourself, what nourishment do I need now? And that's something I like to tell people, that if they don't like how they're feeling, just stop and say, what nourishment do I need to bring into my life that would help relieve me of this feeling? See, then the way I put it is the curse becomes a blessing. Because, yeah, yep. there are people who say my disease, uh, you know, is failure, roadblock, pressure, um, uh, all kinds of horrible negative words. And then others say blessing, wake up call, new beginning. You see, they've used it in that positive way. And I think, again, when you have the strength and courage to say, what am I to learn from this? Rather than who should I blame? Um, you know, it's not my fault. You keep learning. And if you keep learning, then death truly is your commencement. See, because that also interests me. Who came up with the idea that a graduation should be called a commencement? Because I like saying that to kids in high school. I say, hey, what is it when you graduate? What do they call it? A commencement. I said, huh? You finish with school? Why don't they call it your termination? You know, and then it makes them stop and think that life is about beginnings. And we keep beginning. And I mean that literally. It's an endless series of beginnings. But if you see it that way, then you keep learning from it. But if it's always, oh, look what happened to me, um, then, you're, yeah, you'll stop living Stop enjoying life uh, because you're ending the experience by withdrawing from it. And the process of somebody who comes to the place of consciously dying in joy, in awareness, um, is quite spectacular. I have oh, witnessed yeah. it only a couple of times in my life, and it is something. Oh, I learned. I've learned a great deal about death. Uh, and I mean that not as a doctor, because they don't take it in as a part of your training, you know, how to deal with death and loss and all kinds of things. And in the hospital, most people die in the middle of the night to avoid their families and their doctors from making them feel guilty and interfering with their death. I mean, I know doctors who have kept people alive who are in an intensive care unit 
and the doctors were doing it to demonstrate how wonderful they were as doctors. They never thought about the patient who's lying there and not really experiencing life, just lying there, you know, receiving all this treatment. And one of the doctors finally woke up to the fact that, what are we doing to this man by bragging, you know, that he didn't die on my shift? Because there were three doctors on eight-hour shifts and what they were doing to this poor guy. But what I've learned is that death is not a problem when you're ready to leave your body. I mean, I've seen this in my family. It's incredible. Nobody's had trouble dying. I mean, just some examples. My father-in-law um, fell off his back porch and became quadriplegic. So here you have a man, you know, who's paralyzed. Um, but let me say he lived to be 97 in that body. And one night, wow. though, when we went to visit him and feed him dinner, he said, no, I'm not having dinner tonight, and I'm not taking my vitamins. And, and we all knew what he was saying. I'm done. And he died that night. You see, you'd say, how does he manage that? Well, he turns off his live mechanisms, if you know what I mean. My father told my mother, I need to get out of here. My mother thought he wanted to get out of the bed he was in. I said, Ma, he's talking about his body. He's tired of it. So she gave him permission. He died laughing with all, yeah. you know, multi-generation people in the room. And why did he die laughing? Because my mother was telling stories about their early meetings. Because when I came in, I said to her, how did you two meet? I don't even know where that sort of came from. You know, because I thought later, you didn't say, I love you, I'm sorry, let me give you a hug. I walk in and say, how did you two meet? Well, because of that, my father died laughing, looking so healthy, I thought he was going to change his mind and not die. But again, it, the consciousness, when did he die? When the last person who had told us they're coming to say goodbye came into the room. Now, he can't know that, okay? He's in a coma. You know, I mean, you can hear in coma and under anesthesia and while you're sleeping. So he could hear what my mother was saying, but how did he know who the last person was? And that is related to the consciousness. It's not local. It's there for all of us, and it helps us connect. And, uh, you know, we could get more mystical if you want to, but it, it relates to all the things like, past lives and near-death experience and everything else, that the consciousness doesn't die. And, um, it, you know, it's the one thing that unifies all of us. Yeah, and, and indeed that's true. I, I had an experience with a family member. She was 92 years old, and I was taking care of her. And... She told me that her sister was coming to call for her, her sister Ada, who had died probably 30 years before, and she was calling for her to go to the train. She said, I'm really ready to go, is what she told me. And I was taking her to the doctor. And I said, do me a favor. You can go to the train, but if you could just wait till your son gets home tonight so he could say goodbye, because her son had gone mm. somewhere for the day. Yeah. And she says, okay, honey, I'll do that for you. So lo and behold, she goes to the doctor. She's filled with pneumonia. She goes home. The son comes to see her, and she left. She was done. 
92 mm-hmm. years old with a great life. Yeah, I, I often say to people when they tell me their relative died, I say, what time? Who was with them? And, you know, when they're surrounded by loved ones, I say, you know, it's not about guilt. They didn't fail. They were comfortable with everybody's love, so they could die surrounded by everyone. But I also know, and I tell people regularly, like my mother. See, my father doesn't have a problem dying with everybody in the room. My mother, to be a good mother, she would not die with the children in the room. She doesn't want to upset them. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't feel guilty. I would be with her. Then I'd step outside, leave her with her friends. And sure enough, you know, when did she take the last breath? When I'm outside. But I, and so I say that, especially to parents. I said, look, don't feel guilty if you go to the hospital cafeteria to get lunch or you go home to take a shower and your child dies when you're away. They're doing that to make it easier for you. So I tell people to rotate. Don't be there every minute to make it harder for that person. It's okay to step outside. Let them know you're doing that. Then they have the choice to live or die, you know, with you there holding their hand or out you know, when you're outside the room and uh, make it a little easier. What about the role of spirituality, prayer, talisman, ritual to help us um, through this process, whether it's our our own uh, crisis or that of someone we love? What role can this play? Yeah, faith is very important. Religion can be a problem. And I mean that literally, okay? Um, I won't mention the people involved, but, you know, when God decides who gets smallpox, you're told by your religion, if you vaccinate yourself, you don't go to heaven. Does God want me to have cancer? A well-known member of the clergy said, not necessarily, but sometimes God uses cancer because you're having a good life and you forget about God, so now you'll have to come back. I mean, no, this Mm. I can tell people. If you lose your health, go look for it. I don't know any member of the clergy who walks home if they can't find their car keys saying, God wants me to walk home. What they do is go look for their car keys. So if you (laughs) lose your health, go look for that too. God is not using it as punishment. Yes, you may learn from it, become more spiritual and faithful, but God isn't the problem. The rules and regulations of religion are. I mean, you have me on your show. I can hand you an article somebody wrote about me in which I am called demonic, satanic, and occult. Now you'd say, why? Oh, because I talk about God. I tell people to do imagery, to close their eyes and see pictures, and Satan could take over your pictures, and oh my God. I can't believe what these people believe and are saying because of things I do. Um, You know, I think they're people who are inadequate and need words, you know, to save them. So they'll know what to do. Um, (laughs) I am laughing because I'm rereading the Bible, starting on page one, going through the whole thing again. And, I mean, God, (laughs) what God does to people you know, in, in, in the beginning, um, is unbelievable. You know, every time I read it, I think, how could God do this to us? Um, 
And it's all these people who didn't follow the rules, we'll kill them, we'll murder them, we'll this, we'll that. And I thought, wow. You know, we talked about love, and people say God is love. But if you read what God said <laughs> in the beginning of the Bible to uh, Moses and others, uh, you begin to wonder, what the hell's going on here? Um, and I think that, again... It's when people step in, you know, somebody had to write all this. Um, I'm not going to get into arguments over the Bible, but it's something, you see, I use to learn from. So for me, spirituality, religion, um, all these things are things to learn from. As a matter of fact, when a member of the clergy was criticizing me and telling people not to attend my lecture, I said, look, I won't say anything Jesus didn't say. I'll base my whole lecture on quotes from Jesus. And then he sort of gave me a different look. You know, maybe I wasn't so terrible. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, all those messages are there. That's what I tell people to look for. Look for common themes. So whether it comes from the Bible, from Bernie Siegel, from some Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist teacher, um, Go ahead and listen, because if they're all saying the same thing, it must work. Yeah. And Maimonides was the one who mentioned that disease is a loss of health. And he also said, which is still true today, if people took as good care of themselves as they do their animals, they would suffer fewer illnesses. Oh, so, that, that's, and that's, that probably is true. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. Absolutely. Bernie, we're out of time once again. Well, let people remember, we're all going to run out of lifetime, so enjoy the day. And thank you, Bernie, for being with us once again, and I hope to share more time with you in the future. To learn more, please visit BernieSiegelMD.com. On Facebook, he is at Bernie.Siegel.75, and on Twitter with the handle at BernieSiegelMD. And here are a few thoughts before we part. The one thing I wanted to share is a professor once told me that healing is the application of love to the places that hurt. But finally, happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen and my wonderful guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Go out in the world and do all things with love. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. 
Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Tokenet Radio Network.